We are in now in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the series called Follow Me. And uh, this morning we're in Mark chapter 5. Our verses are 21 through 43. And Eleni Piner is going to read the passage for us this morning. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you, Eleni. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we can't see you, but you see us. Your spirit is here in this living temple. And we pray now that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray that by the gracious empowering of the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to love him, to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage teaches a simple but powerful fact. And the fact is this, King Jesus has authority over sickness and death. 
King Jesus has authority over sickness and death. Now, Mark, the writer of this gospel, wants us to know that Jesus has absolute authority over sickness and death, that sickness and death are no match for Jesus. That's what we've just had put in front of us here. But let's be realistic. We live in a world of sickness and death, don't we? It's true for everyone, people who are Christians, people who aren't Christians. Last weekend, many of us assembled here to grieve and remember Nancy Whitaker as she's gone home to be with the Lord. Charlie Collier, six-year-old Spencer and Mary's son, battling this stubborn infection still in the hospital. People who are here this morning or people who are online this morning with chronic painful illnesses for which there seems to be maybe no good diagnosis or cure, people with cancer, people with disabilities, I could go on. It would be not unreasonable to think, you know, it's nice to read a story like this, that Jesus healed a woman and raised a little girl from the dead, but that was 2,000 years ago and he's not here now, so what difference does any of this make today? People might think, you know, religion is fine for Sundays, but, but what difference is this going to make in real life? And these are fair questions. And this is where it's helpful to remember that the Bible isn't a fairy tale and it isn't written for people who live in some fantasy land. In fact, the Gospel of Mark was written probably around 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. And Mark, the gospel writer, is writing to Christians who are living with suffering and sickness and death in a situation very much like ours. In fact, possibly in a situation much worse than ours because the most likely scenario for the, the writing of this gospel is that it was written to Christians in Rome around the year A.D. 60 or a little later. This was a time of persecution when the emperor was doing things like using Christians as human torches during his garden parties. This is around the time when the apostles Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome for their faith in Christ. These stories in Mark 5 are intended to make their way into the everyday life of suffering and death. They are part of the bigger story of how Jesus, God's son, has come into the world to establish his kingdom, to begin to deal with the great problems of evil and sickness, of Satan and death, and to plant the flag of his new kingdom and call people everywhere to repent and believe, to come and join in before he returns a second time to bring an end to this evil age and make all things new. What we learn from these stories today has the power to give you hope here, today, now. So let's approach this passage in just two steps. First, let's listen to the story. We'll do that in three parts. And then let's ask two questions. Who is this Jesus? And second, then, how should we respond to him? So the story. The story comes to us in three parts. The first part is Jesus following a desperate father. Jesus follows a desperate father. Now, last week, as Vince was preaching from the passage before this, we saw 
Two stories where Jesus is establishing his authority there, first over the weather as he speaks to a storm and stills it, and second over demons as he delivers a man from Gerasa. Now, having crossed to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples are in their several boats making their way back a little more calmly this time across the sea to the Jewish side and as usual, as they arrive, a crowd gathers around Jesus. Jesus has become famous. He's a celebrity. And people want to be near him. They want to see what, what's he going to say or do next. And out of that faceless large crowd, maybe you can think of a, just a big crowd, maybe at a concert or a crowd storming up a basketball court after, after the team wins. And there's this mass of people. There's this sort of this mass of people around Jesus. And out of that, that sea of humanity, one man emerges. One guy makes his way to Jesus. And his name is Jairus. And Mark tells us three things about him in verse 23. Look back there with me, please. It says, Jairus fell at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So we learn that Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's respected in the community. He's sort of probably at the top of the social ladder. His daughter is dying. The second thing we learn about him. And third, we learn that he's desperate enough to just sort of humiliate himself, to make a fool of himself, to fall down at the feet of Jesus with the crowd all there seeing it, and he begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter. If you're a parent who's had a sick child or lost a child, I imagine you can relate to the sense of worry and fear and desperation when kids are sick. And this man's, this father's need drives him to Jesus. And I wonder as we've gathered this morning. I wonder what needs have you brought with you today to this gathering? As you're watching, what needs are right there in the front of your mind right now? And I wonder where are those needs taking you? To Jesus or in a different direction? Jairus' need brings him to Jesus and Jesus says, okay, let's go. So they begin to make their way to Jairus' house. But before they get there, we'll meet someone else. And this is the second of what people call a Mark sandwich. It's not a Mark Mullery sandwich. It's a Mark the Gospel writer sandwich. Mark the Gospel writer likes to start a story and interrupt it with something else and then finish the story. He did this back in chapter two, uh, uh, chapter 3, and now he's going to do this again. And so on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus is interrupted by a chronically ill woman. He heals her. Let's hear how that happens. So Jairus and Jesus set off to, to, G, to Jairus's house, but they're not alone. The whole crowd is moving with them. Have you seen how a whole crowd can move together? If you want a, a small picture of this, go to a little kid's soccer game, right? Have you ever seen how they do this? And you get this little herd that just moves around the field and there's a ball somewhere in the middle of the herd. And then every once in a while, the ball pops out and goes in the net. And that's how little kids' soccer works. And so this is, a big, this is a big herd, and they're making their way to Jairus' house together. And in that crowd is a lady. Verse 25, look there with me, please. And what do we learn about this lady? 
It says, there was a woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who, was, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but grew worse. And so we learn four things about this woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She has suffered much under many doctors. She's broke. She'd spent everything she had trying to get better, but... Instead of getting better, she's now worse than ever. Pause. I can look around this room and consider those who I know are watching online and know how close to home this hits for some of you. The suffering. We can hear 12 years and that can go in one ear and out the other, but let's pause and consider 12 years of chronic illness. What were you doing 12 years ago? 2010. 2010, the iPad was unveiled by Apple computers. Justin Bieber was at the top of the charts. Barack Obama was president and some in this building hadn't even been born. And that woman had been bleeding every day that whole time. 12 years. So many good things are done by doctors and nurses, and competent medical professionals. And we thank God for those who are here amongst us and those who are doing their work in the medical field today. But here is the dark side of medicine. There are some people who just don't get better. There are some problems that just can't be figured out. No diagnosis and no cure. And that's the condition this woman was in. And so her desperate need combines with what she's heard about Jesus and it gives birth to an idea. Hey, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And so she wades into that crowd where she has no business being because she's unclean. The Leviticus law says that anyone with a discharge of blood is considered unclean and so she should not be in, the, in contact with other people. But she is so desperate, she makes her way in and she gets a hold of Jesus' robe and she is healed immediately. Here's the surprise. Jesus senses this and he stops everything and he asks, who touched me? And why would he do this? The disciples say, why are you doing this? You're never going to figure it out. There's all these people crowded around you. But the woman falls at his feet and tells everything. Why would Jesus stop and single her out in front of all these people? I want you to consider what's happening here because this is one of the sweetest pictures of Christ's compassion you'll find anywhere. This woman is unclean. Leviticus 15.25 says that her discharge of blood makes her constantly unclean. So she's been like a leper for 12 years. She's poor. She's helpless. She's an outcast. She's at the opposite end of the social spectrum from Jairus. But just like him, her need has driven her to Jesus. And so in verse 34, after she's explained what happened, he says to her, Daughter, can you hear that? What would that have been like for her to hear that from him? It's not a rebuke. It's a welcome. 
daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There is enormous compassion here. In a patriarchal culture, here is Jesus treating this poor, outcast, unclean woman with tremendous honor and dignity. He calls her daughter, just like he called the son, he called the paralyzed man in chapter 2, son. I think there's more than just friendliness in this. He's welcoming people with faith into his family. Here's a woman who'd been isolated for years, being called daughter, welcomed into Christ's family. He says, your faith has made you, well, not faith in a robe or some magic ritual, faith in the living person, the king that he is. And so he says to her, go in peace. And that little word peace is filled with meaning for a Jewish person. It's rooted in this idea of shalom, which means living in the fullness of God's blessing. So instead of, instead of Jesus rebuking her, he honors her, welcomes her into his family, and sends her in peace. This is remarkable, not only because of the way he treats her, but the fact that she, an unclean person, touched him, should have left him unclean, but it doesn't. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the king who has authority over sickness and death. So instead of him being made unclean by her, she is made clean by simply touching his robe. And he says to her, go in peace. And I wonder, do you know that peace? Have you met Jesus this way? And so now we transition back. While he's talking to her, people come from Jairus' house and they tell him that his daughter has died. So the third part of the story is Jesus raising a deceased daughter. I want you to imagine what it might have been like to have been Jairus standing there while Jesus is having this interaction with this woman and then hearing that your daughter has died and wondering, well, what if he hadn't delayed? What's he doing? What's she doing? What must have been going through his head? But Jesus turns to him and says, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Believe what? Jairus had been willing to believe that Jesus could heal his daughter. Now Jesus is asking him to believe that he can raise her from the dead. And so the delegation arrives at the house. This time, the crowd has been cut off. And Jesus and three disciples, Peter, James, and John, along with Jairus, they arrive at the house and there's this scene of commotion and all kinds of weeping and wailing. Now you need to understand, this is a culture that, that responds to death with mourning that's very public and loud. There were actually professional mourners that came to homes like this when someone died and that was their job, was to weep and wail. And so this is taking place and Jesus sees these people and makes this outlandish statement Hey, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Now, everybody knows she's dead. There's a dead girl in the house. And so they respond with mocking laughter. And so Jesus then proceeds in the house with a total of six people. Jesus, his three disciples, and the little girl's mom and dad. Look at verse 41 with me, please. Taking her by the hand. Picture the scene. He reaches out his hand. 
and he takes her hand. He says to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. The word Talitha, this is Aramaic. It's the local dialect. This is the language they were speaking. Talitha means lamb. It's a, it's a friendly way of speaking to a little child. Little lamb, little girl, I say to you, arise. And in a moment, in that room, instead of six people breathing, there are seven. Jewish law declares that if you touch a dead body, you'll be made unclean. But Jesus again reverses the flow. And instead of him being made unclean by touching the dead body, the girl is made alive by being held by his hand. And it says they were astonished and greatly amazed. No kidding. Like stop and think about it. You've been to funerals. You've been to cemeteries. This girl was dead and now she's alive. And Jesus says, tell no one. He's trying to prevent a premature coronation by this crowd. And by the way, get her something to eat. I love that little detail. He's so kind. What do we do with this? Why is this here in Mark's gospel? What did Mark want his first hearers to get out of this? What does the Holy Spirit have for this gathered assembly this morning, for those gathered online this morning? Two questions. Who is Jesus? This is the question we must keep asking as we go through this gospel because every portion of this gospel is intended to reveal Jesus in a unique way. Mark is assembling a cast of characters and they're all testifying to and revealing to us something about Jesus. And here we see this so clearly. Jesus is the king who has authority over sickness and death. Jesus is the king. And his authority, his kingly authority extends over sickness and death. Jesus bursts on the scene in chapter 1 saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It means that Jesus the king has come, advent. He's arrived, he's on the scene to establish his kingdom and his kingly authority stretches all the way over sickness and death. What king can say that except King Jesus? Jesus could walk into a hospital today and heal every person. He could then go down into the morgue and raise all the dead. His kingly power and authority are that great. Now, why is Jesus displaying his authority in these ways here, but then later we'll say he's ultimately here to die on a cross? Why? Why is he doing both of these things? And why in this order? This is so important. You can't understand the ministry of Jesus Christ if you don't understand this point. The underlying cause of sickness and death isn't viruses or bacteria or cancer. What is it? It's sin. That's right. The root of our world's problem isn't physical, it's moral. Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden fractured our world and every sickness and every death can be traced back to their sin and to ours in union with theirs. 
Now, this is not to say that the people in this story were sick because of some particular sin committed by some particular person. It rarely works that way. But listen, understand this. The ultimate root cause of all sickness is sin. Sin is at the root of it. And you can't fix this. And I can't fix this. But Jesus has come to fix this. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Hear that. Can you see the connection? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the good news of eternal life to be freely given by God, what had to happen? That same hand that tenderly reached out to that little girl who was dead, that same hand had to be nailed to a cross. Because his death was accomplished as a substitution for ours. And that's what makes the forgiveness of sins possible. What we're seeing in Mark 5 is Jesus bringing the good news of his kingdom into the world. He's giving us a preview of what it will be like when he returns. And he brings his daughters and sons into his new creation, a new paradise where sickness and death and evil and the devil will have no place. That's what's coming. And that's good news. That's who Jesus is. How should we respond? How should we respond to him now? If you follow along in this gospel, Mark does a great job providing and revealing to us. There have been a whole range of responses, haven't there? You get this crowd that's sort of fascinated but ambivalent, not sure if they've actually signed up to be disciples, but they really want to know what's going on Next, you've got these opponents that have already plotted to, to destroy him and, 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 and are already undermining what he's doing. You've got these disciples that have signed up to follow him, but they're a little bit clueless. And we're about to see they're actually really more clueless than we realize. And the next couple chapters are going to reveal that. And then today we see a man and a woman driven by their need coming to Christ. They came to the end of themselves and that's when they encounter Jesus Christ. And isn't that how it works? And what happens next? What happens when their need brings them to Christ? Can you see what happens? His power is made perfect in their weakness. He told Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Believe what? The health and wealth gospel says, if you have enough faith, you will always be healed and always be rich. And that's wrong. That's too much too soon. It wasn't true for the Christians Mark was writing to in the first century, and it's not true for Christians today. This side of the cross, if you stop and think about it, you realize Jesus didn't even heal everyone in Israel when he was here. 
He didn't raise everyone from the... People were still dying. There were still funerals being held in Israel while he was on the scene because his mission wasn't to heal everyone then. His mission was to come and plant the flag of his kingdom. God in person, King Jesus, proclaiming the good news of a kingdom where all things will be made new and making that possible through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And so his word to us is still, oh, church, do not fear, only believe. Church, do not fear, only believe. Believe what? Believe that if you come to him with repentance and faith, believe that if you reach out to him from your place of need, he will welcome you, daughters and sons. He will forgive you of all your sins and wash you and cleanse you of your shame and welcome you into his family. He will forgive you. And by his spirit, he will be with you always, even to the end of the age when he returns in person. And he will lead you in the way of peace. Do you believe that? That's what he's asking you to believe. Do not fear. Only believe. Believe that his power is still made perfect in your weakness. And that power may, may be manifest in healing. And we pray for healing. And sometimes, often that healing comes many times through the common grace of medicine. Sometimes through miraculous intervention. But his power is always made perfect in our weakness as we enter in, in our weakness, to the sufferings of Christ. As we trust him. And rest in him and run to him and bear the fruit of his spirit. Because we were made to live in humble dependence upon our God. And our need is always a gift to remind us that we are not self-sufficient and independent beings. We were made to live in active dependence upon God. That's not the result of sin. That's the order of creation. That's our design. We are made by the creator to live in active and humble dependence on him. And I forget so often. And I'm grateful for need that reminds me who I'm made by, sustained by, and want to come back to. I want to urge you this morning. What's your need? Let it draw you to Christ this morning. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, we were made to live in such a way that his power is made perfect in our weakness. This doesn't look the same for everyone. Jairus came and fell and pleaded at his feet. She snuck up behind him and quietly touched his robe. The disciples last week came and woke him up with a pretty bad attitude and no faith. But oh, how he loves to respond to people in need, even if you don't do it perfectly. He's not here in person. Can't see him. But his spirit is here, ready to forgive, 
ready to wash away shame, ready to comfort in every affliction, to sustain through every valley. So by faith we gather and we sing and pray. We sing and pray when we're suffering. We sing and pray when we're prospering. He's not here in person, but his church is, this new community of sons and daughters. And so by faith we gather to encourage one another and exhort one another as long as it's called today that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's not here in person, but his word is promising eternal life, promising daily bread to all who will come, promising final salvation, promising that sickness and death, you know what? Their days are numbered. They're coming to an end. Can you imagine the day after Jairus' daughter was raised? And he looks at her. Can you imagine the day after that dear lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years when she woke up and she was healed? Can you imagine? Can you imagine when the Lord returns and the dead in Christ rise and we're given new bodies and sickness and death are gone? forever. Spend some time imagining because that's what's coming. King Jesus, he has authority over sickness and death. and He's here. Let us reach out to him today. Run to him today. Rest in him today. Worship and love and serve and trust and obey him.